Fuck. And going live. Going live. I think we're live. We're live. Cool. Right, now it. then, let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, Kane Sims, as always. And today I'm joined eventually by Brandon Kaplan, who is the CEO and founder of Skill Creative and also the CIO of Journey. Brandon, welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me to the world. I appreciate it. I can't believe it took us so long to do this podcast. I know, man. Well, you know, there was a small thing that happened the last couple of years. We've all been a little busy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But like, I always just think you've been on the show for some reason. I just like, it's one of them things. I always just, oh yeah, Brandon, we've had Brandon on the podcast. And I look back, we haven't actually had Brandon on the podcast. What's going on? I can't believe it took us this long, but here we go. Here we are. We are. And things have changed. Things have changed quite a bit uh, over the last year or so. Obviously, COVID happened and then journey happened. And you're now on a similar but different journey to what you were. I wonder if you can fill fill us in a little bit on what's been going on in your world. Sure. Yeah, man. It's, uh, I mean, the whole world, it's been uh, not just the VUX world, the whole world. It's been uh, <laughs> an interesting couple of years. And uh and for skilled creative as well, it's been you know, knock on wood, we um, we we grew through COVID. We we kind of expanded our services. We we got some really you know great new exciting clients, and and so the business you know very fortunately made it through COVID and grew. And um, you know what's interesting is when I started the company in 2017, we weren't just a voice agency. So the the name Skilled Creative was inspired by Alexa Skills. Um, mm-hmm. But we were working on a bunch of tech. We were working on computer vision and generative AI and projection mapping and augmented reality and you know um, data data visualizations and all these different interesting technologies. I whittled us down to a voice agency about a year in because I wanted the hyper focus on voice that I felt was a fast growing um, category. And so we've been doing that for you know five years after that, so about six years total. And then about a year and a half ago almost two years now, um, I got approached by a colleague that I know in the industry with this idea to, to start a new holding company um, and, and a holding company that, that kind of went back to the roots of how I started Skilled, which was to create a, a holding company, a new agency that's focused on the future of the consumer journey and what are the technologies that are going to be most important in the future of the consumer journey. And so we, it's called Journey and it's, it's now a, uh, a combination of five different best-in-class, innovative, leaning agencies across physical, digital, and virtual kind of environments, and um, and we're we're pulling all those resources together, and we're going out as one agency service offering. So, you know, Journey is is kind of one of the agencies of the future, helping brands you know build build that way. Nice, wicked, yeah. and. You know when you see those YouTube videos where they're in the middle of a conversation and then they'll keep the conversation going, but then all of a sudden slip into a promotional kind of plug and then get back to the conversation and almost try and get away with it. I was almost going to do that there because I do need to give a quick shout out to this webinar yeah. that we're doing, <laughs> that we're doing yeah. talking about. And I was about to, I was about to just roll it in, but I thought it's going to be too cringe with that. Speaking about the future, speaking about the future of of technology. If you're interested in learning about the future of conversational commerce, then that's what these webinar is about next week. Uh, but it is generally if you are looking at ways in which conversational AI can go from customer service use cases, which a lot of people are focusing on right now in the enterprise, and up the customer 
journey up the top of the funnel towards sales and towards uh, transactions, then this webinar next week with TalkDesk. In fact, it's not next week, it's December the 8th, uh, will be all about conversational commerce and how you can use conversational AI to improve and boost your sales. Imagine having a digital sales team that are selling stuff on tap, on demand, without any human involvement. The potential is absolutely huge. So go to videox.la forward slash commerce if you want to find out a little bit more about that. Videox.la forward slash commerce. What are your thoughts on in terms of the, I mean, it sounds as though the skill creative has gone from wide in terms of exploring loads of emerging technologies, narrow into voice. And as you mentioned, back kind of wide again with Journey, looking at all of these areas of emerging technology, being a kind of full service emerging technology or future of customer kind of interaction sort of agency. Where do you think commerce fits in, not just necessarily with voice, but in terms of the whole kind of mix of everything that Journey does? Where does commerce sit and what role does it play? I mean, it's it's obviously so incredibly important. And, um, you know, the interesting thing in Journey right now is, you know, skilled creative still uh, exists in its own world. And then we're a part of this broader universe of Journey. And so we're still running conversational AI initiatives with clients and and building all these programs. And then now we have the chance to kind of connect with these other services and channels and, and build more robust uh, initiatives. But commerce is central to all those discussions. I mean, any brand you're talking to, at the end of the day, they have to generate revenue. And from a voice perspective, um, especially with everything going on in the industry right now, platforms changing focus and shifting and growing and shrinking, um, there's been a handful of use cases that have consistently been best performers, most important, let's build it. And conversational commerce has always been in the top three. Um, and so we, we've we just been spending years starting to kind of build our own um, perspective on, on what conversational commerce is. And, and we have that as a really key service offering right now. Mm, interesting. So yeah. is that commerce from the point of view of, of um, transacting or commerce from the point of view of everything that surrounds the purchase, you know, including the research and the product identification and all of that kind of stuff? Like, How would you define commerce in, in that sense? Well, there's, there's kind of that, that commerce <clears throat> flow, right? There's awareness, consideration, conversion and loyalty and you know, we work across pretty much that whole flow. The only thing we don't touch, which you're expert in, is kind of the more customer service enterprise side of things. So mm-hmm. if it if it has anything to do with a brand being able to reach an audience, you know, get an audience into consideration through education or promotional offers, collection of CRM data, um, transacting um retention and avoiding cancellation and attrition of that purchase, uh, we're very interested in that. And But when I think of commerce very acutely, I think of, of that transaction moment of where can conversational AI truly facilitate the purchase or at mm. least that like very close intent to purchase conversion point um, is, mm. is where we, we consider that conversational commerce. Mm, interesting. Yeah. What's your has there kind? Of, I know that Amazon. Speaking, that you were talking there about there's been move, movers, movements and shaking and, and expansion and contraction and stuff like that in the industry. What's your sort of thoughts on on the the kind of industry in terms of the voice assistance at the moment? Obviously, we have Google that kind of removed the third party actions this year. We've had Amazon, which has laid off a bunch of people. Not just in Alexa, it has to be said. Amazon has made cuts in a bunch of different areas. Um, What's your thoughts in terms of 
the impact that that may have or do you, is, is this Amazon deprioritizing is this Amazon regaining more focus like how, how would you sort of take the the recent happenings you know for for me I think the scariest thing about the whole thing is is simply just the narrative and that it's a it's a vague narrative that is that is ripe for uh, interpretation and so you see every media publication picking up the story Amazon has laid off X amount of people, Amazon spent X dollars on Alexa, and they run in 50 different directions on what that must mean without really having, you know, a nuanced understanding of it. And in my opinion, because, you know, we are a a tech creative production, but we also are largely a strategy consultancy. And so we don't really have a horse in the race. Um, Our clients come to us and they say, we have these challenges, these needs, these wants, and then we curate technologies and platforms and solutions. And then we help kind of roll those into a program and execute. And so for me, I look at the landscape because we need to keep a view on the whole landscape. And I'm actually excited um, because I like that Google has kind of honed in on their strength. And I like that Samsung is pivoting and leaning into their strength. And I like that Apple has slowly doled out tools. And I like that Amazon Although it's scary to hear 10,000 people laid off. I, I like that Amazon is starting to hone in on where there's real value to be driven by Alexa. Um, and as far as I understand it, a, a big portion of the people that were unfortunately let go were, were those that were working in kind of the, the like deep AI machine learning areas. This, this hope that Alexa was going to be this ambient computing sentient assistant. And anyone that owns an Alexa device that doesn't feel like the current path or even necessarily what needs to be the path. And so I've heard that a lot of those folks have unfortunately been let go and people that work in the hardware team and people that work in the brand marketing team. But um, of all the people that we work with directly, I don't think there's been a single person um, that I know of that's that's no longer going to be on the team. And mm-hmm. so what that says to me is Amazon is, has identified – um, key areas that have high utilization, they're going to continue to lean into that. Some of the areas that they were speculatively investing in that maybe were more expensive or more difficult than they, than they thought it would be, they're unfortunately having to cut uh, because of you know economic uh, foreshadowing. So mm-hmm. um, it's not to mean that those tools and those initiatives can't get turned back on, but uh, a new CEO comes in needs to make a name for themselves, needs to make like a budget number cut. And um, there were a, there were a handful of places in Alexa you could have made those cuts and they did. So mm-hmm. I'm getting long-winded now. But for me, what I've always told people is, you know, when radios went into the home, the audio didn't leave. When televisions went into the home, they didn't leave. When video game consoles went into the home, they didn't leave. Um, and so those platforms just evolve and iterate. And so when you see a hundred million Alexa devices enter homes, they're not going to leave. They're just going to, they're going to have to evolve over time. Um, so I think voice assistants are here to stay in the home and in the car or on the phone. And, and it's just a, a matter of finding real utility um, mm. and, and where we can build towards it. Yeah. I, I, I posted something the, the other week, which was kind of alluding to that, which is that there is no way, <laughs> there is no way in hell that Amazon is doing anything with Alexa in terms of canning it or shelving it or anything like that. Yeah. You really think that with like devices in over 30% of homes across Europe and the US that they're going to just turn it off? No way. 
you know, fair enough. Yeah, they, they had a lot of people. I, I think you mentioned ten thousand people sacked. I don't think it was ten thousand people fired. I think it was ten thousand no. people that were there in total, and they right. just they've trimmed obviously some people back from that but if you think about the amount of people that were working on voice activated toilets and voice activated microwaves and voice activated alarm clocks and all of that spaghetti that they were throwing against the wall you know it's not that i I kind of jokingly said that they've probably got a load of people sitting about twiddling their thumbs i don't think it's necessarily quite as bad as that but there's definitely as you said definite room for for kind of like you know streamlining a little bit regaining focus and i just hope that the focus is put not on devices because they've already got a good device or a good set of devices, you know, and maybe they won't generate much more revenue necessarily from the people who've already bought them because you don't necessarily upgrade your smart speakers every, you know, every year or whatever, but they've got usage and that's the main thing. And if you can build an audience, you can capture attention, you can sustain usage. There's a business model in that somewhere. I don't know what your thoughts are in terms of like, uh, probably there will be some pressure in the next 12 months or 24 months from the Alexa division to perhaps start turning some this attention into some revenue. How do you think that might sort of transpire? Uh, yeah, they're going to, they're going to definitely be focused on monetizing every possible element of it. And, you know, my, my hope is, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're cutting off power to several initiatives that should flood attention to the things that people utilize heavily today, um, things like music and, questions in commerce and core at home utilities um, and really honing on improving those experiences, not necessarily from a, an AI machine learning. I know you, I remember all our conversations, we're building a relationship perspective, but from a, how do we make this feel better, more natural, more nuanced where I'm not listening to a song and then I'm getting a random ad for a product that I have no interest in purchasing, but but making that smoother and, and cleaner and focusing on, on the user experience from like a business strategy perspective. Um, and uh, from a commerce perspective, they already have a lot of initiatives that can generate revenue. I mean, there's a lot of ad media that has been turned on in the last 12 months that you can turn features on through ad media. Um, obviously, conversational commerce. We've seen some really, really good numbers in, in terms of conversion percentages and completion rates in commerce-related campaigns and programs. And I think that if they really flooded a lot of resources to those experiences, it could be really, really powerful. Um, and then there's a, a whole slew of other things. But I, my, my hesitation is I hope not everything needs to be monetizable because mm-hmm. I think there are still a lot of kind of wonky user experiences that needed need to be fleshed out before you attach a monetizable CTA to it. So I hope there's still some room for, you know, um, free exploration of, of good user experience that is supported by heavily monetized experiences. And and we'll be working on, on both of those. Mm, Interesting. What are some examples of some of the sort of like those user experiences that need to be, figured out i just i mean anyone that uses the device right like how how many awkward conversations and no it's far better i don't hear sorry i don't know that anymore and i don't know if yeah. people think about that right like that's all been filled in which is pretty miraculous um but you know if i talk to alexa you know 50 times a week i probably have half a dozen really awkward interactions or 
you know, the music doesn't stop when I ask it to, or the mm-hmm. alarm and the music awkwardly are overlaid on top of each other. Or, you know, for me, it, it's a funny one. And and God bless the team that works on Alexa jokes, because obviously um, there's a use for it. But every time I look at my screen in my kitchen and I see a prompt for like a knock-knock joke or a dad joke, <laughs> I like want to tear my hair out because I think... <laughs> That's such good real estate for promotion of some other like more interesting user experience. But we know that families and kids use the platform and there must be data to support that people like jokes. But Mm -hmm. to me, I look at that and I go, that is such valuable real estate that could be utilized for a million other uh, use cases. And so Mm -hmm. I hope that there's thought around connecting the user experience, the feature features available uh, marketable real estate on the platform, hyper focus on discoverability uh, of mm. not just third party skills but other features, um, and that's that's not an easy task. But um, they've they've got a lot of smart people working on it. Mm, yeah, it's a uh, it's very it is a difficult task, and you know that real estate on the home screen uh, for me, I think there is so much potential not just to use it in a blanket sense, but to really sort of personalize it. So yes. Sh- prompt families for jokes if you know that families interact with it you know right. if, if if one minute it's a kid kind of triggering a request and the next minute it's a woman next minute it's a man or whatever you can build a profile and say this is definitely a family house so let's use this screen to start say oh do you want to watch bing this morning or do you, do you know what i mean you can start being more sensible at what you do whereas if it's if it's a guy who is in his 20s and the device is only ever used by this guy in his 20s then he's probably not going to be interested in being a knock-knock joke. So the, the potential for personalization is, mm-hmm. is vast, I think. And I've never seen really any great evidence of it doing that, apart from it might showcase a product that I was looking at on Amazon, or rather a product that I had in my basket or something like that and prompt me to check out or something like that. But that's not, it's personalized-ish, but I know for a fact where that's coming from, it doesn't seem smart necessarily. So yeah. I think the, the potential for, for it to be really hyper-personalized is huge. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge anyone that works with Amazon, obviously, it's a the company is a juggernaut, right? And and in in large part, our companies, our industry exists um, due to some of the momentum that they've they've built. But Amazon is a very siloed organization, and so you have dozens and dozens and dozens of teams working on you know adjacent or completely disconnected initiatives. And I think their biggest challenge is going to be how do you have a a congruent experience when your teams are all siloed. So how do you create Mm. some collaborative strategy to connect those dots? So things feel natural. Um, because when I get, when you and I have a conversation, um, I don't have seven brains that remember our different discussions with you that have different relation to you. Um, I have one brain and one memory of our, of our discussions. Um, so it's difficult when there's, a lot of different features from different teams trying to get put into the same basket to create a really good user experience. And there isn't a phenomenal opportunity to kind of smooth out how they work together. Um, it's, it's an area that I, I know that Amazon thinks about, but it's challenging um, mm. with the way some of those teams are structured. Mm, definitely. You mentioned the the third party and discoverability. Discoverability has been something that's been, you know, spoke about since 2016 in terms of the the need for some th- sort of discoverability sort of tooling or, or methodology or framework. But 
rather than, I don't necessarily want to get into that because I think we've probably had that conversation a lot of yeah. times, but <laughs> the more so I think that I'd like to get your thoughts on the the value of the third party ecosystem because you know you look at Amazon and you think okay if it's regaining focus and prioritizing um Alexa you know and and at the same time Google has removed conversational actions um and so Amazon now if it's going to try and monetize Alexa I mean, yes, fair enough. You've got Prime, you've got Amazon Music, you know, you've got Amazon Shopping. It has enough tools to be able to monetize Alexa as it stands. But then it just becomes an Amazon device. It stops becoming that ambient device that the the vision is, which is that you can get anything done from wherever wherever you are at any point in time on any device. Therefore, third party, and this has always been the case, if you look at anything that Adam Chaya was saying when he was creating Siri, when he created Bixby, the whole concept of these ecosystems has always been to plumb in all of these third party services so that you can you have the capacity and the, the capability to do whatever you need to do whenever you need to do it or to yeah. access whatever you need to access from wherever. And, and so obviously... You know, you've alluded to some of the complexities at Amazon, and I, I don't think this is any different. If you've got a hundred thousand skills, it's very difficult to make sense of those hundred thousand skills. Very difficult to understand what they're all about. Very difficult to judge how good they are. Very difficult to work out which ones should be kind of nudged into a, in front of a user at the right kind of time. Very yeah. complex. But I'm wondering if there's any kind of any further thoughts in, in terms of the last few years or what you're expecting maybe in the next sort of twelve eighteen months or so as far as the role that third party applications play in the platform yeah i think um you'll, you'll certainly see google focused on like first party um i'm sure from an amazon perspective I would, I would venture to guess you'll see a significant focus on first party and you know the third the third party conversation is interesting like we have um some third party skills that get millions of annual uniques and are really um, valuable parts of our, you know, clients' brand ecosystem, and there's others that were part of a campaign that had some, you know, marketing pop, and they sit dormant. Or we've got others that kind of got launched and never necessarily got a significant marketing push, but they still get a steady stream of organic traffic for whatever you know, whatever reason that may be of discoverability. And then you've got a, a small handful of outliers who just underperformed for whatever reason. And there's, you know, artificial intelligence, right, is like millions of if-then statements. And so we have this internal methodology of uh, an Alexa skill makes sense for your organization if this, then do that, right? Like Mm. if you believe that it's a phenomenal value add for your existing audience, then explore those use cases. If you believe that you have the marketing resource to drive this to your audience, then build something that engages them for a very valuable use case. If you have a relationship with the platform that can um, generate some some really powerful launch discovery, then worth exploring some more campaign-centric initiatives and dozens and dozens of these types of kind of considerations. And so I think, yeah, there's this like in a vacuum, there's this beautiful vision where Brands have very thoughtful use cases that really bring a value to their audiences, whether it's pre-purchase or post-purchase or brand engagement. I think the challenge potentially is 
Amazon did a really phenomenal job in 2017, 18, and 19 in, in business developing brands into launching skills. I mean, mm. many of those 100,000 skills launched in those first couple of years. And a lot of the features that we now know as the more robust, uh, interesting features weren't available back then. So mm. you, you had like all of these brands and we meet these brands and we talk to these brands and they go, ah, you know, we tried Alexa skills in 2017. It was cool, but like it didn't really do anything for us. And I go, but did you know this, 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 this? Like, oh, I didn't know I could do that now. Um, but even with all that, unless you can you can create some type of a strategy for discoverability, it, we still wouldn't necessarily recommend a skill for mm. a brand. And so that's why we've worked really hard over the last you know three four years to call build what we call like the conversational AI ecosystem, which spans Amazon, Google, Samsung, Apple, Serence, Soundhound, Speechly, Symbol AI, Voiceflow, Voiceify. Like, Voice activated websites, voice activated mobile, mm. voice commerce, voice media, um, where, you know, four years ago, building an Alexa skill was maybe 80% of our, our pie chart. Now it's a, it's a significantly smaller percentage of the executions that we roadmap for clients. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I've got some, obviously we'll, we'll get onto this, the other yeah. stuff and the emerging stuff in a moment. I, I, yeah. One more question on, on the, on the Amazon stuff. Um, what, what have you noticed over the last kind of number of years from a third party perspective, from the client projects that you've worked on, what kind of use cases have been the most successful? Like we know that Amazon music's really popular, asking questions, really popular time is that kind of stuff. Podcasting's getting there, you know, like, so, but like in terms of the third party stuff, you don't often hear a great deal about like these kind of use cases work really well. So I wonder if you can shed some light a little bit on like what are those kind of standout use cases that you've observed from a third party point of view? Three three quick use cases that kind of rise to the top for me. Um, one is is um, a skill that you build that extends your other IP. That you're not building the skill as a driver of your business. You're building the skill as a channel extension of your business. And so take a news organization who says, listen, we've got our web, we've got our mobile, we have our social, we have all these other channels, and we're going to build a voice experience to extend it, to offer out more touch points for our audience. There's a lot of value in that, and you can drive uh, a lot of traffic there um, by leveraging their ecosystem. Um, Radio stations did that really well, didn't they? Radio stations, news organizations, media companies, publishing companies, television networks, uh, Netflix now has a pretty mm. interesting skill that, that came out of nowhere and is, is looks like it's performing very well. Um, second is obviously anything like around wellness. And whenever we've done meditation or a- ambient noises or, or affirmations, those have always gotten really good traffic and really good retention, but a very limited use case for only a certain number of people. And the third is what we call the wheel spin. And uh, we have a, a company we work with that does like couponing. And this is years ago, the founder of that company said to me, sometimes consumers just want to spin a wheel and get something. And voice can be really powerful for a wheel spin. It's like a come in, it's a one or a two turn creative conversation to allow us to unlock your phone number or your email or to drive a transaction. And we've noticed really good performance of those like very intentional marketed wheel spin experiences. Um, they come in all shapes and sizes, but... Um, very utilitarian call and response wheel spin type stuff has performed very well. Um, nice. Yeah. Wheel spin. I like that. I like that. Uh, I like that phrase. Nice. So 
you were alluding to some of these other kind of um, surfaces and, and applications of, of voice technology, conversational AI there, you know, voice-enabled websites, voice-enabled media, that kind of stuff. You know, we yeah. talked about Journey having agencies that explore kind of physical spaces, virtual spaces, and, and all this kind of stuff. And there's a lot of kind of um, attention being placed in things like synthetic media, AI-generated art, you know, the kind of like Web3, Metaverse, all, all these kind of emerging spaces. What what out of like out of everything that's kind of going on right now, which kind of areas are exciting you the most as far as this kind of emerging technology space? Uh, I mean, there's so there's so many, uh, and you know, part of my role at Journey as chief innovation officer is kind of continually seeking out the edges. Um, an area that I've been very interested in, that I know everybody seemingly is very interested in, is is generative AI, synthetic media, things of that nature, and um, Obviously, Web3 is interesting and Metaverse is interesting. And I've always been fascinated by computer vision and Web AR as it evolves is, is very, very interesting. There's a lot of innovations happening just in e-commerce, e-commerce being embedded in different types of media. But this generative AI space, um, you know, text to image and text to video and text to 3D and text to audio um, is so disruptive and in such a meaningful way, and it's happened so quick that it's really hard to ignore that as I think the most important technology that has kind of hit the stage in the last 12 months. Mm, there is definitely some very impressive uh, tools out there, AI-generated music and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And some of this, this guy posted something on, what's really interesting is that I think that the perception is that you give it a prompt and it gives you it gives you a result and then you're done with it. But there was this video on LinkedIn. I forget the guy's name now, and it was it's one of the. I'll have to find it. It's one of the best. Um, but the little creatures in the hole. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah. No, it's crazy. My God, it's absolutely. It's literally mesmerizing. Like I, I couldn't stop watching it when I was looking at. It. I was thinking, this yeah. is just out of this world for those that haven't seen it i will try and put the link in the show notes i'll try and dig it out on linkedin but essentially the guy and i've got to find the story because it is so so good yeah. that's um, that's the future that's the future the 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 ai human collaboration is the future yeah. and it's it's uh be scared of it if you want and um and you know scream at it if you want but it's it's coming and it's wild and it's impactful and to, to the point, I, I shared that guy's video and you could not have created what was the final product without a human involvement. And I don't yeah. think that you'll ever be able to produce what was finally produced just with the AI. But what the AI facilitated was like a really unique creative starting point, uh, a ton of just the silly like heavy lifting in the middle. But it really took his human brain to turn it into something that, as you mentioned, was like mesmerizing, could not take your eyes off of it. And was that due to the AI or the human? I don't know. But that team created something that was fascinating. And that I think that's a big part of the creative future. Um, and why I think one of the titles that you're going to see on LinkedIn popping up like mad next year is going to be um, AI creative director. I think people mm. that really learn these tools are going to, are going to be leading um, and there's going to be a whole group of people that are AI creative directors. Interesting. It makes sense. Uh, the guy, yeah. the guy was um, was talking about like he was saying he doesn't know what to call it because for for those that haven't seen it, right? It's this it's this like 
circle. It looks like part of a tree. And it's this circle kind of like almost like a it's like almost like the inside of a plant or something. It's crazy, but then it's inside like the knot of a tree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then there's leaves all around the outside, and then inside there's these creatures. One of them's hanging on the outside that looks a bit like a frog. <laughs> one of them's inside that looks a little bit like another kind of crazy looking frog. It looks like it's full of frogs, but one of them's got like a really long beak and it looks like a yeah. I don't know, some sort of bird. But then and the process that he went through to do this thing is mesmerizing. He took something like eighty or more images generated from Midjourney. So he's put different prompts into Midjourney. It's generated 80 images. He's took all of those layers into Photoshop. And then he's basically kind of like layered them on top of each other to fill out the colors. And then he's deleted parts of different layers to expose other parts of other layers. So if you imagine taking 80 layers, 80 pictures that all look very similar, putting them all together and then pulling out the best part of each one, that's basically what he's done. And then he's put it into After Effects and he's put eyes on these creatures and he's made the eyes blink and he's then put this like 3D kind of uh, motion on it so it looks as though the camera's kind of floating in front of the tree. It's yeah. absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. No, it really is. There, there's a, there's a, an anecdote that I've, been telling literally since the the month I started the agency. I found some research that was because everyone's always been afraid of AI and conversational AI has always been an AI. So um, there was a study that was done years ago that was when uh, an artificial intelligence looks at medical slides looking for cancer cells. It was something like 93 or 95% accurate. When a doctor using traditional tools was looking for cancer cells, it was something like 97, 98% accurate. But when the doctor and the AI collaborated, it was like 99.8% accurate. And so there's mm-hmm. data in all different fields of like the human AI connection can generate at speed, at scale. And again, I think it opens up like this whole new creative plane, not just for artists, but for people that aren't artists today that want to be artists in the future to explore different edges of creativity that we may not have thought of because to allow your voice or your text to prompt the beginning to some creative process um, just explodes creative blocks. Um, mm-hmm. So very excited about that space. And and uh, I've been saying for the last few months, I think we need to claim that as a conversational AI. And mm-hmm. the, in the same way that metaverse has taken like gaming and put that inside of metaverse, mm-hmm. we need to claim this generative AI tool set because it's conversational. It's text mm. too. And it will eventually be voice too. You'll be able to yeah. speak into your phone and then art's going to pop up on your TV. Um, so it's, it's a really exciting space that, that we're, we're, we're focused on in a, in a bunch of different areas of journey. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when, when people say AI, kind of most of the time, you are talking about NLP, natural language yeah. processing, which conversational yeah. AI utilizes. And so it's like most of these things are NLP engines fundamentally certainly as an input that fuels a lot of them. And in, in some cases with the, some of the creative writing stuff with GPZ3, it's, it's language on the output. So they're all language-based technologies because that is, you know, it's, it's always been said that language is the fundamental AI problem. 
you know, generating images is nowhere near as hard as understanding and producing language because images are kind of pixel representations on a page, you know, and whereas language, you, you can't define the meaning of a single word without using more words to define the meaning of that word. And so it's just mm-hmm. like a Russian doll scenario. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's so ephemeral, it changes all the time. What even is meaning? And so for computers to be able to understand that, and then produce something. The whole the whole AI problem is a language problem. Um, so you're right, definitely. I think it's uh, definitely needs to be when, <laughs> flag in the ground. The, when you look at the investment in the space, there's some charts I was looking at a couple of days ago. Like the um, the level of investment in generative AI in the last 12 to 18 months, like exceeds some other you know commerce and e-commerce and some other really well known emergent channels. And again, it's only a year or two or three old. But the irony is. We were looking at, at generative AI back in 2017 and 18. Adobe um, had this product called, I think it was called Dreammaker or Dreamcatcher. And it was used for like enterprise. So you put in um, thermal dynamics, um, fluid dynamics, and shape. Um, and the AI would generate uh, a product. And they used it to kind of like design airplane wings and drone frames. And we were fascinated by that back then. But I could never have thought about the mid-journey type, you know, um, execution of it. And so that's what I love when there's like a seed of some technology and then some smart people that you've never met before get together and find a unique way to bend it. And then that's the inflection point um, Mm -hmm. that that turns it into a world-changing technology. So I think the next – I keep saying we have a decade of innovation ahead of us. Some of these technologies that have come out in the last couple of years that are now tools um, and then creators and technologists are going to get a hold of those. The world is going to look so different 10 years from now um, in terms of how we create and consume. Um, it's it's going to be very interesting. Because mm, a large part of, you know, a large part of what people spend time doing is consuming these days. I mean, we are very much a consumer-based yeah. society, certainly in the sort of Western world. If you're not consuming from the point of view of buying shit, <laughs> you're consuming from the point of view of absorbing information with your eyes and ears. And so there's definitely, you know, I think we'll definitely see more of this kind of stuff, which is the the generative, creative kind of, you know, pieces which you couldn't have imagined yourself kind of thing. Where do you think the other sort of applications of this stuff are you mentioned there that you know aeroplane companies or whatever can use this generative technology to create new parts for machinery and so like that. Is there any other places outside of kind of the creative field in terms of you know because this could be used for content marketing it could be used for you know branding and promotional assets it could be used generally for content like lots of creative ways that you could use it do is there any other applications of this stuff that you can see um appearing the areas that we're really, you know, oftentimes we're thinking about things through the lens of our clients. And so a lot of our clients are in media, entertainment, consumer packaged goods, healthcare, finance. And so we're thinking about it in the context of, um, you know, image creation, video creation, audio creation, um, text creation. And so, uh, you know, we're, fo- we're focused kind of on the obvious use cases. Mm-hmm. It's like, using GPT-3 to summarize long-form content, converting that into a script, uh, pumping that out into a synthetic voice, translating it into 40 languages, exporting it into a virtual avatar, auto-populating YouTube with with 40 
you know, translated snippets of video. And right now you would need five or six potentially different technologies stitched together, but we're looking at how do you kind of automate some of those processes. So that's where we're focused right now. And as I mentioned, what excites me the most is like the, the edges of my mind, it's infinite what's outside of that. And so there's a hundred people out there thinking about weird, zany use cases And a lot of those are going to be weird artistic expressions that don't necessarily have a commercial application. But a lot of those are things that we can't fathom today. They're going to change industry. Um, Mm. And so I'm just, I'm I'm like looking forward to seeing those coming out and hoping that I discover them first. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that, that sort of helps to accelerate some of that kind of adoption and, and, and all that kind of stuff is the democratization of the tools that are needed to create it. So that example there of that that crazy little plant thing was a guy who is a creative director. And mm-hmm. so he knows his stuff. He knows how to use Photoshop. He's got a creative imagination. He, he kind of probably, when he sees those images, he probably knows what he wants to create. So yeah. part of it is that, you know, today, right now, evidently, the technology exists to be able to enable creators that have got the skills already to create this really immersive, really kind of, um, you know, outside the box visuals and artistry. But what ends up happening with other technologies, and you could use web as an example when WordPress was created and and all this kind of stuff, um, it enables people who don't potentially have the same level of skills to be able to still get involved and create, democratizes the ability to do that. So the technology seems as though it's it's here right now and can be used for all of those use cases that you've outlined. Mm -hmm. Perhaps maybe the only restriction is the skills that you need to do it. Can you see... Is is that kind of where this stuff will go, do you think, is that it will become a lot more accessible and a lot easier to use for those that don't have the skills potentially? I mean, to some regard, yeah. And, and I think that's an interesting thing about innovation is uh, it won't scale unless you find a way to allow it to scale. Now, it can scale from an enterprise perspective, right? And cr- true, like, creators that know how to utilize tools like the Creature Image Guy or enterprise where there's billions of dollars spent to make tools as good as humanly possible. But for mass consumer adoption, and arguably this is this is where Amazon has hit some some bottlenecks with Alexa, is um, the app marketplace, the creation of really meaningful Alexa skills that were discoverable, too much friction. It didn't hit that scaled inflection point. And so it kind of it stalled a little bit. And and I could see generative AI doing some of the same thing where like you already seen dozens of these mid journey clones that are out in the market being promoted on Instagram. And those are fun little kind of like widgets, baubles. Um, and then there's this big gap into the real tools that people can use to create real things. And it's going to take work. Does a bridge get drawn between the fun little shiny widget and the meaningful tool that could be used by your average consumer. And um, that remains to be seen. I, 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 I always correlate it to like, you know, crypto's having a weird moment right now, but hopefully we look back in 10 years and go, can you believe that you had to buy your cryptocurrency on this platform and then swap it into another platform and then take it off the platform and then move it to this other digital thing and then take it off and, it's like, how impossible is that? There's too much friction for mass adoption. Um, and emerging tech needs 
to kind of melt away that friction for scale. And so for generative AI, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Mm. I think the thing with generative AI, which is unique, I think, compared to other things, like if you look at Amazon Alexa, for example, and even mobile apps, if you go back further than that, you had the first flurry of things that were created were all very much kind of creative, entertainment-based, novelty factor kind of stuff. And then what happened is as the tooling gets proved out, the use cases develop, you start getting into things like being able to stream music, being able to buy stuff, being able to watch stuff. You start to be able to do more deeper, immersive, useful stuff. And so... You know, you could one lens is that you could look at the generative AI stuff and say, well, it's going through that kind of the the hype cycle. It's it's being very much spoke about right now. It's in all of the media and all that kind of stuff. It's going through that novelty phase where everything that's produced is novel um, as opposed to useful. But at the same time, you could also say that well, the creation of unique creative isn't necessary. Being novel is the, is entirely the point. And so there's an argument potentially for saying, well, it's not necessarily, it couldn't be that, it might not be the hype cycle thing of going through that same phase in because it may be that that, that the creative is the whole point sort of thing. So I don't know whether you've got any thoughts in terms of the maturity of that as a sort of subset of of AI and whether you think it'll go through those same phases or whether you think it's arrived and and it's kind of a case of just, you know, carrying on building the tool sets and stuff, you know? I think there's room for all of it. I think you've got like the easy to access widgets. You've got the much more hard to access tools. That bridge I spoke about being created in between. And once that bridge is created, it's all open to everybody, and you can go as as you know far and wide as you want. And so, yeah, the fun little widgets are always going to. Social media exists on fast moving, quickly created widgets and baubles, and. Um, there, there are creative minds that can make big viral impact with like very simple nuance. And then there's creative minds who need to spend weeks and months and years on, on carving something out of stone. And so uh, there's, I think there's room for all of it on, on the spectrum. And I just think it's a new tool, right? Like 50 years ago, you had to paint uh, or print or draw, you know, 20 years ago, you can now be a digital graphic designer. Um, and now you can be an AI creative director and it's just a new thing that we have to figure out. Um, I am not, it's above my pay grade to figure out what that is going to look like in 15 years, <laughs> but I'm excited to be a part of it. Nice. Wicked. So what, what are your thoughts on some of the other kind of things? So now that we we're, we're kind of getting out of this, or hopefully we are out of this whole COVID thing now and people yeah. are getting back together at the voice summit and we're going back to events. We're in physical spaces, uh, a lot more in terms of the other stuff that journey is doing around when we can, we can talk about virtual spaces, we can talk about physical spaces, but in terms of that more immersive side of things, you know, we've, we've looked at kind of the generative AI, which could be immersive potentially, but it, it's usually, you know, assets online or on social media, or whatever. but there's, there's certainly experiential capabilities, you know, you're looking at VR, AR, metaverse, and then also, you know, physical experiences in physical locations. I know journey just acquired, um, forget the name of the company now, but I, I messaged you about it because I'd literally been to the Empire State, State Building. Yeah, and so, Yeah, say again? Squint Opera is the company. I, Squint I Opera. Incredible company, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they did the, the Empire State Building kind of queue journey. And I went there the other week after the Voice Summit and it wasn't busy enough for there to be a queue 
sort of thing, but we passed through the whole thing and we saw the kind of like the King Kong experience there and, and the the fantastic thing, which was, I don't want to spoil it for everyone who hasn't been, but I will, <laughs> which is that there was this, um, it was like this digital video and it was the people that were working on building the Empire State Building and there's steel girders everywhere. And that really famous picture that everyone will know about where there's a big row of guys sitting on that steel girder eating a sandwich and there's, you know, Manhattan's behind them. And it was essentially like, if you imagine being there on the day that photo was taken back then and this whole video sequence all the way around you was all of this kind of, these guys just building it and knocking steel together and it was just commotion all over, but it was fantastic. And so interesting to hear your thoughts about those kind of experiences those more immersive kind of in-person experiences and, and where you think that is now and where those kind of things are heading yeah i, th- I think that's kind of the whole vision for journey is the the future of the consumer or the audience journey isn't going to live in a exclusively in a vr headset um regardless of what mark zuckerberg wants um it's still going to exist very largely in a physical environment it's still going to exist very largely in a digital web two type environment. And increasingly it's going to exist in this kind of like emergent virtual environment from a conversational AI perspective. We're excited because, you know, voice and text and conversation can be used to influence physical, digital and virtual worlds. Um, And so when you talk about journey and we're like, well, I think our slogan is right now, uh, you know, uh, real products for real people using real technology in whatever world they want. And that's across physical, digital, and virtual. And we say, oh, well, we invent in physical, digital, and virtual spaces. And you don't hear me saying physical, digital, virtual, and voice. And that's because mm-hmm. for me, voice is pervasive across all of them. And so while those other teams are building out these like amazing audience experiences, I crave is building like the most incredible physical environments, the sphere in Las Vegas, hotels and restaurants, and then Squint Opera is filling those physical environments with the most incredible kind of user journeys and digital experiences. And then our metaverse team is helping people kind of virtual twin and create virtual environments to explore. And then we're, we're stitching, you know, conversational AI across it. And um, I think that that's something that needs to be explored as well in terms of voice control of hardware, voice control of environments, voice wayfinding, conversational NPCs in virtual environments, uh, voice uh, interaction in physical environments with a lot of privacy and use case considerations. And so we're starting to kind of stitch together this, this web of, you know, how can an audience journey span physical, digital, and virtual? And then how does conversation stay persistent to continue bringing value um, through that journey. I think mm. I answered the question. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. About it. yeah. Did, did you see the, um, the Facebook research that was published? I think it might've been yesterday or the day before where they, they'd created an AI. I can't remember what it called. It was some acronym, um, that could play the game diplomacy. Don't know if you saw that. So, so I'm I'm not overly familiar with the game Diplomacy, but I got the gist of it from looking at it. It's basically a game, a bit like Monopoly, where you have a world map and there's a bunch of different players. There's a website you can go and play it. And you need to kind of conspire with people that are playing the game and you need to kind of like take over different territories, 
so that you eventually end up kind of taking over the world, basically. And you need to kind of partner with people so that they will join you in trying to take over this one country. And then in return, you will help them take over this other country. And it's like a strategy game of how can you build relationships seemingly to ultimately stab someone in the back at the end of it all by those things. But, but, but what Facebook have done is they've created this AI that can play the game diplomacy with other real people mm-hmm. and win. And so in something like 93% of cases, it won. And, wow. and so what it, what it means is basically Facebook have created this, this AI specifically within this game of diplomacy. They've, they've analyzed 40,000 games, trained the language model, give it reasoning based on the scenarios that crop up in the game. Yeah. And, you know, there's videos and you can watch it and you can read the transcripts of where this AI is negotiating with people and bargaining with people to get them to cooperate with it. And then it re- remembers what it's bargained with before. And it can even, because it's just a pattern matching system, right. essentially, it, it can basically recognize that if someone's asking me for this now, then I know that in three moves time, they have something that I might want. And so I'll do this deal now, but I'll tell them that I want help in the, later on. Mm-hmm. It is mind-blowing and you it reminded me of it there when you said like npcs that are the, the non-player kind of characters in games which can now potentially engage and create stories and have a role but then it's it's like where does that sort of go you know like if you think about these these immersive spaces that journey is operating within the ability to be able to create characters and people visit virtual people that that can be embodied with a sense of logic and a sense of reasoning and be able to actually have proper conversations with people without being you know monitored or every single part of the conversation designed the potential is absolutely huge yeah, the the virtual bean space is is another. We could talk for hours about all the different areas, but the virtual bean space is is an area that we're exploring with pretty good depth. And you know, I can't point to a ton of really successful high retention use cases that are in market today. But it's very clear. I mean, look at the space you're in: uh, enterprise customer service, chatbots, things like that. Um, to personify that is phenomenal. To put a face to a voice to a chat is powerful. To be able to embed that in a kiosk, to have a playable NPC that is empowered with the AI brain that can understand um, tens of thousands of conversations that have occurred before and find patterns and know how to help people navigate. Um, InWorld is a company that we've checked out that has this really seemingly just like incredible neural network that can generate fresh scripting and fresh personalities. And as that stuff emerges, not just in gaming and not just in metaverse, but in physical worlds and in digital platforms to have a personified avatar that, that has a real conversational AI behind it is, um, is going to be great. We just, we got to figure out the the meaningful first use cases that are sticky. Um, Mm. Because if we don't, we run the risk of, hype cycle burnout and people going like, eh, that, that sounded cool, but we, we couldn't figure it out. Um, yeah. Customer service seems like a natural starting point. Commerce seems like a natural starting point. Physical environments, wayfinding, NPCs seem like a natural starting point. Mm, absolutely. The, yeah. um, there's, there's been a bit of research done which has shown that having that kind of physical embodiment makes the conversational AI perform twice as good from a conversion perspective, like twice as many people have a successful conversation. Yeah, it's amazing. Which is, yeah, it's mad. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. The um, There was a good use case from LNAR actually. They trialed a, a kind of digital human in uh, a train station 
for like wayfinding and stuff like that and it worked pretty well i think the cha- the biggest challenge they had was the noise basically because the train stations are really loud so there's like there's going to be challenges depending on where you're going to put it isn't there yeah yeah we we um have been kind of exploring a lot of different areas healthcare and finance some of the areas where f- physical environment conversations are sensitive and and there it's like well parts of the discussion can occur on your phone while at the same time you're having parts of the conversation on a screen um, and you know, you can use directional audio and white noise canceling or booths. And so it's, again, we're, we're like at day one of all this stuff. It's all got to get figured out, but um, certainly a convergence of a lot of really fascinating technologies um, that are coming together to open up, you know, new worlds of opportunity, VOX mm. worlds of opportunity. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So do you think then that kind of the future from Journey's perspective, obviously Skill Creative is still doing its thing. Sounds yeah. as though these these other kind of companies that, that are part of the mix are kind of still doing their thing. Is the ideal scenario that there is clients out there that come to Journey that kind of want this end-to-end situation where, you know, let's say they're, they're renovating a hotel chain and they're also wanting to provide, you know, reservation bookings through Alexa and they're also wanting to do something in the metaverse to provide, you know, some kind of like, I don't know, either through a marketing campaign or customer support or whatever it might be. Like, is the kind of vision that, that you know, brands will get to this point where they want this end-to-end service? Is that the idea? Yeah. I mean, essentially, if, if you think about, look at the, the legacy consumer journey. It's some mishmash of, I went to your website, I engaged with you on social media, and I went into your store. Some some combination there, you start here, you end there. And now you look into the future and there's potentially a lot more touch points that are occurring. Plus, the physical environment is changing and the digital environment is changing. And so we're trying to map out what does that new consumer journey look like? It's probably not linear. It's not like I got a coupon in the newspaper, I went into your store, and then maybe I, I price shopped on my mobile phone. There's It's more of like a circular user journey. And so... Yeah, take the hospitality example you raised, a hotel or a, a, a tourism venue, and and maybe I start the conversation in my home. I, I, I talk to my Alexa device, and I'm, I'm asking questions, and it's giving me some good kind of early um, information. It collects CRM data for me. It sends me an email with a curated experience. It drives me to the website. The website says, hey, we have this really cool like exploratory experience in Roblox. Great. I'm going to play around. I'm going to play some games. It's going to inspire me about what I could do there. Oh, well, why don't you come by our physical you know, location in downtown? You can, you can meet with one of our staff. And so it's about you know, driving people around that physical, digital, virtual uh, journey mm-hmm. and, and creating best-in-class user experience across all those touch points. Um, so I, I don't think every brand in the world is going to need to deploy the entire ecosystem, but our vision is – so long as we're best in class across it, you know, when clients pop up with specific needs, we can support. When clients pop up and say, I'm confused, I don't know what these emerging channels are, we can support. And if they have a vision for this like broad ecosystem, then we can also support. Mm, nice. I, I really do believe that that all of this technology has like really, truly transformative potential. And if you think about that hospitality example, um, let's say that you're a hotel who's got a casino 
the, the opportunity there, there's challenges involved in it, but the opportunity there is that for that casino is is absolutely fundamentally dependent on physical people being in that casino. Whereas if they were to use an emerging environment, like you mentioned Roblox or let's take any other kind of virtual world and build a casino in that virtual world where people can actually gamble, <laughs> whether that's using cryptocurrencies or whatever, they turn themselves into an online gambling organization same thing with like you know if you look at i don't know venues like the o2 arena that puts on concerts all the time you know they could definitely do physical concerts as they do all the time but you're limited how much tickets you can sell because you're limited by the amount of space that's in a stadium whereas you could quite easily do what um what's the guy's name um swiss beats and timberland did with verses and just put people together. They've done digital concerts where there's just Snoop Dogg and DMX from a studio broadcasting live on Instagram, and it's yeah. getting millions and millions of views. I'd, I'd have paid for a ticket for that. And so you've got like the potential for this technology to create new business models for these companies is is huge. No, it, it bends reality, and and it's also it's also accessibility for more people in the same way these generative tools make creativity accessible to more people. You know, our, our metaverse studio, which is led by um, Kathy Hackle, who's like a, a real visionary in the metaverse space, um, they did Walmart land and they created this whole Roblox land for Walmart and they did a, a series of concerts in there. Um, and uh, the, the traffic to these concerts was really, really impressive. And for the artists that were performing in those concerts, had they done a one or a two night engagement they never could have seen the physical audience that they got in this virtual environment. And so it gave them access to a scaled audience. And there's funny stuff that has to be kind of like workshopped there in that um, because of the servers for Roblox, you were only able to like, there were multiverses. Like I could only be at the concert in my world with another like five, 10 or 15 people. So I was in a stage where I had maybe like 15 people there. But what we know from the analytics is that there were like tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people there. And so it's just a really fascinating new thing for entertainment and content and artists and whoever and brands to bend themselves into these new worlds and figure out, you know, do you have a place here? What is your place here? How do you add value? How do you deliver value to your audience? And what do they then return to you? Um, so it's like, a, it's an exploratory time and, there's going to be a lot of hits and misses and and we'll see how it all shakes out in the next few years. Nice, nice. Well, we'll definitely be watching very closely. Looking forward to seeing uh, seeing how it all unfolds, without a doubt. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Right. Let's not leave it so long next time. All right, man. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Nice one. Cheers, all. And uh, we'll see you next week with another podcast. I can't remember exactly who we're doing next week now, but uh, I'm sure there will be one. The week after that is the webinar. Don't forget uh, the webinar on uh, conversational commerce. Uh, that's on December the 8th, vux.la forward slash commerce to join that one. Thank you all. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Brandon, again. It's been absolutely immense. We'll see you on the next Thanks, one. Everyone. All right, bye.